morning, happy Sabbath. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in this morning uh, for Tim. I want to welcome any visitors we may have today. Uh, welcome our members and welcome those who are listening online. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for giving us this day and for what it represents and for what it tells us about your character. I want to thank you for the ability to meet and and get a better glimpse of your character today as we study about faith and healing. Please bless those of our group who are not with us today and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today we are studying lesson number six uh, in our quarterly health and healing. The title of today's lesson is called Faith and Healing. Uh, I actually want to start on Sunday's lesson. Lesson state, 17th century British philosopher Thomas Hobbes wrote that fear was the prime and motivating factor in all human life and that humans created governments for the main purpose of protecting us against those who would do us harm. No matter who we are, where we live, how good and safe we might feel, we all face things that cause us to fear. Fear, though, in and of itself isn't always bad. And the next paragraph says, fear is a natural and necessary emotion that helps humans cope with danger and helps them survive. Any thoughts on this? Russell, how does that relate to Adam and Eve being afraid? Okay, good question. How does that relate to Adam and Eve being afraid? When I read this, my main question is, is fear a natural and necessary emotion? When Adam got the breath of life breathed into him and he opened his eyes and he saw his creator, do you think he was afraid? No. Fear is the result of sin. Okay. So in in human beings who were created to live forever, that that's how we were designed, that's what was intended. Um, uh, what, what, where, does, where does fear have a place in that? It uh, yes, it doesn't. Fear has no place. Fear is not a natural emotion. Fear is a result of the infection of sin. We were not created to be fearful. Let's look at um, the... Why did, why did the scriptures use fear so often? I guess for my sake, just foundationally, we ought to probably talk about what fear in Scripture really means, because it has several meanings. Correct. So when you say, did he fear, in one way he did fear in terms of a good definition, but in the bad definition, he did not. And, uh, you know, when it says fear God and give him glory, uh, are we talking about the same kind of fear of being afraid and tentative, or are we talking about something that's more like respect? Okay. Get those two definitions clear. Excellent point. Wendell? I think it goes back to the English language and how we use a single word to represent many things. And I think that's the benefit of looking at a number of translations. Mm-hmm. Um, and even no matter what language it is, whether it's you know English or Spanish or Greek or whatever, uh, there's so many different meanings of, of, of attached to a single word. So um, I think that, especially when you come to the word fear, as used in the King James and, and many versions, is equivalent to awe. And so, awe or reverence or whatever. And so, um, yes, awe and reverence is appropriate. I agree. And I, I, uh, I do think when Adam woke up, he was, he was a bit awed by this being that was standing over him. But Scripture also tells us that that they spoke face to face like a friend would and you wouldn't you wouldn't be afraid fearful for today's lesson when I'm when I'm talking about fear I'm talking about being afraid being scared of something something or someone something harmful correct something harmful Um, let's look at the where, where does scripture first mention fear Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Someone uh, look that up, please. In the cool of the early evening, they heard God walking in the garden looking for them, and Adam, he ran and hid behind the bushes. And God called to the man, Adam, where are you? And Adam came out from behind the bushes and said, I heard you coming, and I was afraid. 
I am ashamed to have you see because the light I was dressed with is gone. So I hid myself. That's the clear word. Okay. So Adam and Eve ran and hid because they were afraid. God still came walking in the garden. He didn't he didn't come with chariots of fire. He didn't come angry. But why why were they afraid? Why were Adam and Eve afraid? They were convicted of guilt. They knew they were naked. They knew they were naked. They felt incomplete. Okay. They disobeyed God. What led to that disobedience? A distrust. They they didn't believe God. They distrusted God, which led to the disobedience. They were deceived into distrusting God. They believed a lie and were de- correct. They were deceived into distrust. The lesson asked, what are the things, in fact, that we should be afraid of? Or is there anything that we should be afraid of? I mean, living in a sinful world? Yeah. What, what, is, what does the founder of our church tell us that we should be afraid of? Someone look up Luke 12, 4, and 5, please. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Okay, who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, correct. What does that mean? Don't fear those that can harm the body. Because it can kill the body and then do no more, but fear him that could, after killing the body, throw you into hell. He messes with your eternal destination. Okay, we have some eternal consequences involved here. But who is this being that we should fear? I will tell you, there are many gospels that tell us that it is God that you should fear. We hear it from pulpits every day, every weekend. But who is Christ talking about here? Who who are we to fear? Who 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 has a responsibility? Satan. Is is Satan the one who can cast us into hell? You can sure get you going that direction. <laughs> you have to fear your temptation. You and you giving into temptation. Okay, he can tempt us. And James tells us that the God doesn't tempt, that each of us are tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desires, feelings, emotions. That gives birth to sin, and sin when full-grown brings death. Yes, Yolanda? Well, he's the one who tempts us, but we are the ones that... Make the choice. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. We should fear our own humanness and our own uh, everything. We should be afraid of ourselves. (laughs) Thank you. You're correct. This is exactly what Christ is telling us. He is telling us that we have ourselves to fear. The, The minds and hearts, those of us who have not had the image of God restored in our hearts and minds, we should be very, very afraid. Because we we are the ones who make the choices. That will lead to the eternal consequences. We will either be in the resurrection of salvation or the one of damnation. Yes? I just want to read what the clear word here says. Okay. Luke 12, verse 5. The only one to fear is God, who has power over your body and your eternal destiny. In the end, he will destroy both. Yes, you should fear him. Thoughts? (laughs) Does, Does that word clear things up? (laughs) For us. Let's talk about this. I mean, why? <laughs> this is a very, this is a very common gospel that's taught. Why? What? Why? Why should we, we be afraid of God? Fear is an honor, perhaps. Yeah, we are supposed to honor God. I don't think that's the fear that is is being spoken of here. 
respect. They are often synonymous, but again, I don't think this is the fear that is being spoken of in this translation. This um, it's not a translation; it's a paraphrase. We need to fear the consequences of not following him. That's that's kind of what it's referring to, I think. Is okay, but is that different than fearing God? I mean, yeah, fear the consequences of the choices that we make that we are responsible for. But is that is that different than fearing a God who's going to? Who's constrained by holy justice to impose a penalty of pain and suffering on his loved one, on his children? That's what Satan wants. That's, that's Satan's plan. You wouldn't believe a God like that. Someone said, "Perfect love casts out all fear." Correct. So, how can a loving God? How can we be afraid of a loving God? Or should we be afraid of a loving God? We would only be afraid as much as we did not know Him. Ah. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So, if we really know God, and how, and what, what evidence do we have of God's trustworthiness and His and His love? Cross, the cross, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, of His own Son. Okay, God, Christ said, "If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Father and I are one." God was in the world, reconciling the world to Himself. Excellent. Correct. So we have we have ample evidence that that God would not use His power to harm His friends or His enemies, and He would not use it to save Himself. I mean, is that does that sound like a God we should be afraid of? No, no, not at all. His, his consistency can make you not be fearful of Him. Exactly. It's, it's the unpredictability that you are afraid of somebody. You just don't know what they're going to do. But he has, is so clear on that. Right. Exactly. Any other thoughts on fear? It's almost like a perspective. You know, if I'm living the way I should live, then my fear of God's going to be a respect and an admiration and a, a great appreciation. But if I'm not living the way I should live, then that word fear takes on a whole different connotation as to how God and my relationship exist and are. You're right, it does, but why? Okay, who changed? Who's changed? Me. Not Correct. God. It's not God. God has not changed. God is. My God remains loving. God remains kind. God remains patient. God remains forgiving. And so, for the sinner, as he looks at God, there's a whole different perspective than the person who's living as he should live. And maybe that word can take. Different meanings as a result of your position. I, I would prefer using. Oh, we are all sinners. I prefer using the term. No, I realize that. But you know, those who are on the path to healing versus those who are, who are on the path to to death. Where, where they do what they should do. Try. Right. Okay. Uh, let's move to Wednesday's lesson. Yes, Chip. For two sins. Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than any sparrows. Excellent. Thank you for adding that. The God that numbers the hairs on our head. I wanted to come back but to the feeling of guilt. I, you know, I think that that's an, an internal thing that happens. It's a visceral feeling with many of us. I just feel sick that I did that or I can't. You know, you've got to go to bed with yourself every night. You know, mm-hmm. All those phrases and everything. And that is not something that the devil has done to us, the Lord has done to us. That is within ourselves. And I just can't even imagine what Adam and Eve felt. Here they've been living this life and had none of those feelings. We've all lived them our, all of our lives. Yeah. My mother, the first time she said no, we probably had that feeling. Something inside of us that we're not worthy or something, you know, something. But I just can't imagine how they felt the first time. I mean, that was a big thing for them to do for the first, the first sin. Yep. And and what they did and how they handled that feeling, and no wonder they they fear. And you you know that is where fear comes from. It's you guilt whether you're afraid of guilt or feeling guilty. But I think that's a large part of it. Yeah, and consider you know the first time they they slit an, an animal's throat, and they saw saw it bleed, and they saw the life disappear from the animal's eyes, and they saw death. And then they 
skin the animal and wore its clothes. I mean, think about think about what was going through their heads at that time. And then when they saw their first, you know, their, their second-born son dead, think about what was going through their head at that time. Yeah, it's sh- uh, shocking. Uh, I'm mistaken. We're going to go to uh, Tuesday's lesson for a minute. Power of faith. Mary Hart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. This is from Proverbs 17.22. Uh, any thoughts on this text? How many in this room are in the healthcare? Maybe a fourth of the fourth of the group are or have been in healthcare. Uh, we can all tell anecdotal stories about patients that we've dealt with who, you know, those who are of a have a positive mental outlook tend to progress better than those with a negative outlook. They 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 heal quicker. They heal they heal better. They go to bed at night and sleep without any problems. Let's define faith here for a little bit. Um, we've been over this before with Tim. I want to I want to revisit this ground. Scripture tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So yeah, well, let's look at this word substance. This comes from the Greek word. Anybody know? Hypostasis. Hypo means, come on, under, underneath, below, beneath. Stasis means state of stability or even standing. So, hypostasis, under, standing. You can look at the word substance itself. Sub means below, subway. Submarine, stance, understance, understanding. Okay, faith is the understanding of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That there is a, a gospel that would tell us that we should take things on faith, and we may not understand them, but that's because we are finite and mortal, and and God doesn't want us to understand them. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I think another word you could use is foundation. The under and under. That's what, that's what a, a stable house or a stable building will be built on, a foundation. That's excellent. Any other thoughts on faith? Well, I like the word trust better. That you have developed such a relationship that even if you aren't seeing what they're going to do, you trust that's what is going to happen because they're faithful and in God's case have always been faithful and so you trust that he always will be and so you in an unknown situation you can still have trust that God will have your best interest at heart okay yes Wendell that's also something you don't get in an instant mm-hmm. we are um, we're often told that God gives us faith the gift of God. And how does he give it to us? He gives it by a journey, by interacting with us. And when we come to the, the, the final scenes, where Christ says, where Christ and God say, I never knew you. Well, why, that, why is that important? Because the journey is what's built, what builds our trust. A little bit to your previous discussion about um, the sacrifice of the animals or whatever to get the clothing to, you know, the pair. This was the first time the universe had seen death. Right. And weren't there a lot of questions in the universe about what's going on? Is this something that God is doing? I mean, here he's carrying, killing these animals for these things. What does all this mean? I think this, you know, and so I think there were questions in everyone's mind about what was going on. And it's only by the journey. It takes it takes some time. And so faith is not something, or trust, or understanding, or however you want to describe it, is not something you can gain in an instant duration. It, it took heaven 4,000 years for their minds to be settled. It wasn't until Calvary that, that, uh, heaven's, uh, that the universe's minds was made up. And now all that remains is humanity. 
I like the text that says, oh, taste and see that I am good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's by learning to trust him and, and be in arenas with him so you see his response to you as you work and deal with him. And that builds a confidence because you find him to be trustworthy. Consider the child that um, is standing on the edge of the pool and dad says jump. The first time, the child may be a little tentative, but he has a, he's had evidence of the father's trustworthiness with other aspects of his life, and he jumps because he trusts his father. Second time's easier. Second time's easier. And then pretty soon, the kid's in, Dad, Dad, let me jump, let me jump. So I think it's an excellent point uh, that faith is not established overnight. It's established with repeated uh, exercise of it. it. You know, faith uh, can be analogous to using our heart or our muscles. Okay, if we if we exercise it, it grows stronger. Is that how is that how we would gain a better understanding? If we don't understand it, and people will say, "Well, you don't have enough faith. How do I get another package of faith to to to?" Uh, get that understanding of a difficult situation. Excellent question. Any, any thoughts? Keep walking. If faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, it's a process. And by God revealing himself to us, we walk and we grow in faith. And it is true. We may not see something. We have to trust the for in the in the blind spots of life, what God has been with us in times past. And so I think when we pray, we often approach God in a kind of a Santa Clausish way. Give me this, give me that. If I do this, will you do that? Blah blah blah. And and maybe in situations like this, and in every situation, we need to be praying more. Help me to see your point of view. Help me to help others in the way you would if you were personally here. I'm here. You can use me any way you feel like you need to to help someone else. Give me your point of view on this situation rather than mine. I do believe in my experience he has answered those prayers. I don't think we'll ever understand everything. Why does somebody heal from cancer and another person dies of cancer? This is where, you know, just when you go to heaven, you'll have to find out. See, you don't think we'll ever understand everything while we're here on this earth. Okay. Yeah, I would be inclined to agree with that. Tina? There's a quote from Sister White that says, if we could see the end of the beginning, we'd choose no other path than the path that God has chosen for us. So that's where the faith comes in through our trials, instead of knowing that God is still with us, regardless of what the outcome we see today. We have to have that faith. You had a comment? I think we have to be careful that we don't tell people or we don't in ourselves think if I had more faith, this or that wouldn't happen. And that's a very dangerous path to go down. to do with the amount of faith that we have many times. Excellent point. We're going to get to that in Thursday's lesson. (laughs) But for now, we're going to look at Wednesday. This is talking about stressing out. Again, those in healthcare can provide ample um, evidence that, I mean, I can speak from my own practice that a large proportion of my patients are there, either their symptoms are directly related to some sort of a stress component or stress is exacerbating uh, other symptoms that exist. Stress is a factor in, in a lion's share of the patients that I see in my practice. Um, I've included this in the notes that you can, these are easily, um, you can easily find these stress indexes on the, uh, on, online. But it lists different life events, um, and it, it rates them as far as, um, what their stress level is. Now, there are two types of stress. One's called eustress and one's called distress. Eustress is E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. Just going to read a few of these off. The death of a spouse ranks at 100. Okay, The the author of this study uh, suggested the death of a spouse is the most most stressful thing that an adult can um, encounter in this life. Uh, Divorce, marital separation, imprisonment. Uh, these all give a number. Marriage ranks at 50. Okay? 
death of a spouse is 100, marriage is a 50. These are, these are at opposite ends of the stress spectrum as far as eustress versus distress. However, there's still a stress component associated with a, with a happy event. You guys ever ponder that? Those that are married have. <laughs> um, pregnancy gets a 40. The gain of a new family member, 39. Change in a financial state, 38. It doesn't say what, doesn't say change from better to worse. Um, outstanding personal achievement, that gets a 28. A revision of personal habits, that gets a 24. Christmas, that gets a 12. <laughs> Vacation gets a 13. So check these out in the notes. They're fairly interesting. Um, there's a study done, a study quoted in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1991 that suggested that the rates of both respiratory infection and clinical colds increased in a dose-response manner with the increases in the degree of psychological stress. The infection rates ranged from approximately 74% to 90% according to the levels of psychological stress. This is the rate of respiratory infection, and the increase of clinical colds was 27 to 47%. This this study firmly links uh, respiratory infection rates to a reported uh, stress level. So, what we're seeing here is a pattern that the level of stress or level of reported stress that we are that we are under has an effect on our health. My question is, what do we do about it? Uh, has anyone here found an effective stress management technique? Exercise. Exercise. Okay, that's great. What sort of exercise? Good walking. Brisk walking. Helps him to be worse off than you are. Oh, well, where are we going with that? <laughs> Interesting. Let's let's think about exercise for a minute. I would suggest that aerobic exercise uh, is is a more preferred form of exercise in, in dealing with the effects of stress. The biochemical changes that occur in response to brisk aerobic exercise are some of the same that occur in response to stress. The hormones, the, uh, the hormones that are released, the changes in blood pressure, the changes in respira- uh, respiratory rate, the changes in heartbeat, these are, these are all very similar. And those who uh, do a routine aerobic exercise program their bodies encounter these changes, and they're able to return to a more normal state quickly and efficiently. And they, they are the ones that tend to handle the stress levels better because they encounter stress. Their bodies recognize it for what it is. The changes still occur, but you return to a more normal state more efficiently. How about vacuuming? One of our one of our other members said that creates stress. <laughs> so, so what may be stress relieving for some may be may be creating stress for others, and that's another important uh, point. Some of us are wired. Um, Differently than others, uh, I'll I'll be political. Some of us uh, are just different. <laughs> the for some people, uh, lying on a beach reading a book, it it couldn't get any better than that. For other people, that is that is their idea of torment. Okay, that's that's stressful for people to to imagine lying on a beach reading a book. They they would rather be. Doing something productive, getting getting something done, uh, you know, fixing something in the yard around the house. Yes. Uh, when I looked at exercise and weight loss and number of calories expended, I was dismayed to find how long you had to exercise for each calorie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think the same principle, though, is also with uh, stress relief from exercise. We can't go for hours and hours and hours in high-tense and stressful situations and then expect five minutes of of brief aerobic exercise to reverse the effects of hours. 
or donuts? Correct. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I want to get back to a comment about um, another effective stress management technique, and she suggested that finding and helping someone who is in uh, worse shape than we are. Okay, how, how is that going to relieve stress? That, that's that's going to involve a lot of work. It's taking, the, taking your focus off of yourself. That's what I am. Okay. The, is the, did God maybe design us that way? Perhaps? As, as I have matured as an adult, um, I have learned to appreciate my mother more. And my mother is one of the kookiest ladies you will have ever met. <laughs> and growing up as a teenager with a kooky mom mm. is not an easy thing. I understand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they come to my house because we had conscious cookies. But I, we all went to my Moody's house. So it's kind of a bad thing, you know. Sweet. Very healthy, conscious, but much in tune with her body and how to live her life. And at times throughout my life, I thought how selfish is that. Mm. But as I become older than 40, I thought, you know what? To live a long life, you have to be in tune with what your body responds to. And mine, when I get over overwhelmed, I start forgetting things that I never forget. You know, I, when I walk out and walk out of my house, I jingle my keys, and I have for 30 years. My dad said to do it. Jingle your keys when you walk out so you don't keep your, lock your keys. You know, you used to be able to lock keys in your car. Yep. And now when I stop doing things that I've done for 30 years, I just say, okay, I, I am overwhelmed because I've done things here that I don't normally do. And I've learned that you have to be in tune with your body as much as possible and do not, do not disregard what your body is telling you. If you all of a sudden want to go to sleep at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you need to take note unless you take a nap every day at 4 o'clock. You need to say, what has happened in my life? And my body's telling me I need to make a change somewhere. Right. And then pull off the road and take a nap. <laughs> um, are there any other uh, effective stress management techniques that uh, we have either discovered or we know about and, and should be employing? Meditating on a loving God. Oh, excellent. Meditation. There are, there are numerous resources that tell us that meditation in general uh, is is helpful for relieving stress. Um, I like what you added, that we should be meditating on a loving God because it kind of matters what we're meditating on, doesn't it? Okay. Once, once we do understand that he is a loving God, we can know that we can just go to him and, and cast our troubles and everything on him. You know, we can just pour it out to him. And that in itself brings some relief. To be able to vent. What adds to that is being up in nature doing that. You can take time to go out. I found it surround myself with nothing but what God created and then meditate on God. Mm. You're away from the sounds of the world and everything else that makes your mind go back to where you don't want it to go. You know, so mm -hmm. It's a big plus. And, it, and isn't it amazing that even in this, in this uh, world where all of nature groans under the weight of sin, it's still astonishingly beautiful, isn't it? And, you know, Tim, Tim's lesson last week, um, we were talking about the environment, he really got me to thinking about what, what the world looked like before, before the flood and before sin um, marred, marred the creation. But still, even, even, uh, in a, in a, even out in nature where you can see the survival of the fittest, um, principle and government is still being played out there's still incredible beauty and you can still if you if you look carefully you can still see god's ways and methods and principles being employed in nature now that's an excellent point any other thoughts on stress yes Russell, going back, to analyze this and figure out what might be stress relieving does all stress come from self-centeredness what it's going to do to me how i'm going to look what effect is this going to have on me? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. His question, for those of you who may not have heard it, is does all stress come from self-centeredness? No. I, I would suggest it doesn't, um, not all of it. 
there can also be some selfish um, intent, you know, parents of of children who are not following a path that uh, have been delineated uh, often worry about how they will be perceived in the community, whether it be perceived as adequate or good parents or not. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, an excellent point, that, that much of the stress that we deal with can come from selfish motives and selfish uh, actions, but not all of it. You didn't even say you get the point that we not shrink from death. Makes me think of the Mennonite or Amish. The girls that, yeah, with the gunman held the... The sisters. Uh, so she may have been stressed, but there was something there also mm-hmm. that gave her a peace in, in the midst of that stress. Mm-hmm. Certain amount of stress might be healthy, though. Can you elaborate? Some people uh, might use form of stress that's temporary to be able to function better to get things done for the day, like deadlines and different things. And then having that not to be extreme, you take it for a full day, but just kind of to motivate you. Right. Well, I think you're you. Your comment goes back to the point I made about we're all wired differently. Some people, some people work well uh, having to meet a deadline, uh, and and for others, that's uh, the worst thing they can imagine. Um, and you know, having a deadline where it motivates some people, it, it makes others procrastinate. So I couldn't disagree that some stress is is helpful. I was just thinking about how in Genesis it talks about the thorns and the thistles being for our good. And then throughout the Bible, you can see that there are times when God's people are in uncomfortable circumstances. And that is for our good a lot of times, because we might be off in the far country, and the thorns and the thistles, or the consequences or the things that we're going through, will be the painful experience that leads us to come to our senses. And so in that kind of way, stress can be a good thing that it brings us to a better place of thinking. Well, in the end, how are the thorns and thistles to our good? They're also supposed to be God through our strength. In other words, when we have problems that arise, then we turn to Him for help, which strengthens our relationship with Him. And, I mean, people that have experienced bad things in their life and don't have believe in God, you know, I mean, I don't know how they make it. And doesn't it make us yearn for something better? I mean, doesn't it make us want to want to get to a better place and a better time where we won't have thorns and thistles? Matthew 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you of all things. Rejoice and be glad. Interesting. <laughs> yes. As great as your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The key word there is falsely. But be accused still. Right. As Christians, we have such a different outlook on life. We should. We should. Yeah. Okay, we should, yeah. But it's like we know there's a better life beyond what this has to offer. So we have something to look forward to a reward of heaven. So, regardless of what comes to us in this life, we know that God has a better plan for us. So, I think that helps us in our stress. And I was going to say, to what to some people, what may be stress may be a motivation to another. Right. How you wired, like you said. Right. But if all bad things do is teach you compassion for other other people in bad times, then almost that was worth learning. <laughs> because I think that we are not very compassionate naturally. Mm-hmm. That our compassion grows from having experienced difficult times and and overcome them through God's help or gotten insight that you now can reach out again and help people through their tough times because you become the light at the end of their tunnel. I've been there, and look what happened to the Lord. Now I'm encouraging you to look and see what the Lord will do for you in this situation. Otherwise, we tend to be very self-centered. And if our lives were just a dreamy life, like we always imagine, the right amount of money, the right home, the right spouse, the right kids, how would we learn compassion? Good point. We feel like we're self-sufficient. We had no need of God, but He was so perfect. Right. And how would we learn the effects of lawlessness too? I mean, don't we learn to hate lawlessness because we experience the ugly? It's effects. Yes. I would like to think that Adam and Eve could have learned all those things without ever experiencing loss, and that in eternity, God would have provided various growth with growth opportunities 
to learn compassion and growth in many ways that we, in our current broken world, see as a different paradigm. Mm -hmm. And that Adam and Eve had the opportunity to grow to be complete, rounded, compassionate, whatnot, without the, the evil that has come in between. And that we can learn in spite of the, the evil that has happened in this universe. But the, the evil in the universe did not have to come for God's creatures to grow and become complete. Right. Because you know, we were, Adam and Eve were given the command to be fruitful and multiply before they fell. And they, they did not conceive a child before they fell. So I, I think just the, the act of, of raising, raising one of their own in an unfallen state uh, would have been, the lessons learned in that would have been astonishing. Yes? In my picture, mine as a parent, I can see God saying, oh, shoot, they're experiential learners. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of us have children who are experiential learners, and we just know this journey going to be a long one. Right. <laughs> and you can tell them not to touch the stove a dozen times, but they've got to... My sister, my father-in-law told me the story where he was telling his story about those red berries. They're really dangerous and they kill you. Mm. And the next thing you know, she ran, ran in and she had all his berries on hand. She said, Dad, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> 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 And you know, some people aren't spiritual learners, but and I have to agree with Wendell that I think God maybe was hoping that they didn't have to experience every loss and tragedy to understand why he become well-balanced people. Obviously, he's perfect. He, he knew the perfect way to do it. And well, I think God knew what would happen ahead of time. And the incredible, you think about the incredible love it would take to create beings that, that he knew would rebel against him and reject him and still create him anyway. Um, that, that's what uh, humbles me. Uh, that's what um, quiets me when things get too loud. I want to move to Thursday's lesson. This is on faith and miraculous healing. How many of you have prayed for the healing of a loved one or a friend and the prayer got answered as no? Okay, I see a lot of hands. Uh, I have two. Uh, I prayed for the healing of my father um, last year, and he passed away. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen ten years ago. Because if it had, that would have that would possibly have damaged my faith uh, irreparably. Uh, thankfully, I have I have been blessed with getting a better picture of a loving God. Uh, and that didn't shake my faith, the fact that uh, he chose not to restore my dad. First of all, what is, what is healing? What, what do we typically define as healing? And I want to ask, what, what sort of healing is it that God is wanting to perform in us? Okay, does God want to heal our cuts, or does God want to heal something else, or both? What, 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 what would you guys define as healing? Restoration. Okay. Restoration to what? To the original state. Or the way things were meant to be. Okay. Repair. Okay, restoration, repair. Well, your heart is where your intentions are. I think healing your heart does everything else. affects your mind and your soul. So... That's the kind of healing that you know, we seek because it's the last thing you if, if he knows the hairs on our heads, every spirit that falls, he does have an intense interest in how I'm conducting my life every day. And it's got to be a concern for him to know that I'm happy and content. So if I have a boo-boo and I get cut, he doesn't wish that happened to me. He wishes it didn't happen. And I think he, in the long run, hopes that I will find healing. But I think the healing is more of a spiritual thing. Getting my life and my character in line with him and becoming like he would like him to be, like he originally designed us to be. Okay. 
Um, I've often wondered whether our body's ability to heal, and I'm daily amazed because you know when I when I, when I see my patients um, and their abilities to heal, I'm continually amazed at the miracle of healing. But I often wonder if if our capabilities to heal, if that wasn't an intervention that God gave humanity in order to stop the effects of sin, I mean, because think about it, in our original state, what did we? What was there to harm us? I mean, there were no thorns. Adam and Eve weren't worried about being attacked by a tiger. Um, I don't think they were worried about fracturing a bone. What was there to heal? So is is our is our ability to physically heal is was that an intervention that that God employed to stop the results of sin? Maybe maybe He created us with that ability, knowing that we were going to sin. It's like a prevention. It's like a forethought. We didn't need to use it until we needed to use it, but it was there in place in case we needed to use it sometime. Maybe that's part of His love. Maybe that's a part of His. Uh, overseeing of our, of our well-being. Mm. I mean, Scripture doesn't give us any insight into that. It's just something I wonder about. Yes? When we're cut or when we're wounded inside, we think of healing as being healed to be the way we were. But if you normally look at yourself and look at the cuts that we've got that we can visibly see outside, or if you've had surgery, you don't heal the same way. It's never the same way. But... There's something always there from the healing process that reminds you so that you can learn from that. You know? You're talking about scarring, either physical or emotional scarring? You never healed. It doesn't always heal back the same way you think you're going to. Mm-hmm. But there's always a scar there to remind you. For instance, Adam and Eve, the scar, of course, leaves the Garden of Eve and sin. There's a scar that's going to remind you. But there's hope. Because you can always heal more, but there's a scar, you know, they remind you of how it did come about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Thank you. I had a dear lady once uh, say to me that she can't wait to get to heaven because then she won't have to go to the bathroom anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's right. I, you know, Tim was talking about this last week. He, he didn't see, he can't see too many. Uh, sewers or, or uh, septic tanks in heaven. Sure, but it raises a question in my mind. It, it goes right along with your original question. On uh, Adam and Eve before sin, did they not have bowels and urinary tracts and all of those things before sin? Don't know. Did God give them to them after sin? They were told they needed certain trees and not other trees. Well, not only that, but they were created. God had the knowledge of sin was going to happen when he created them. Yeah. I mean, he knew they were going to sin before they were created. So, why wouldn't he create them all the now? I look forward to asking him. <laughs> there, there are a couple of texts that I want to go over regarding healing, um, and a couple of spirit prophecy quotes, and I've got an announcement at the end. This is from Proverbs, this is Proverbs 18. Uh, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Uh, Malachi 4.1-3. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root nor branch will be left of them. But for you who revere my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. You guys remember that healing is one of the spiritual gifts? I mean, some of us have been given the gift of healing. Revelation uh, 22.2, the trees of life, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. Um, this is from the Australia-Asian Union Conference record. Faith and works are the two oars with which we are to make our way in the Christian life. The Lord calls upon all who think they know what faith is to be sure that they are not pulling with only one oar and their little bark going round and round. I guess a bark is a little boat. Making no progress at all. 
Faith without intelligent works is dead. Faith in the healing power of God will not save unless it is combined with good works. This is from the Ministry of Healing. Taking proper measures is not a denial of faith in the prayer for healing. Many who seek the Lord's healing mercy think they must have a direct and immediate answer to their prayers, or their faith is defective. For this reason, those who are weakened by disease need to be counseled wisely that they may act with discretion. They should not disregard their duty to friends who may survive them, or neglect to employ nature's agencies for the restoration of health. Interesting. This is also from Ministry of Healing. In the Word of God, we have instruction relative to special prayer for the recovery of the sick. But the offering of such prayer is a most solemn act and should not be entered upon without careful consideration. In many cases of prayer for the healing of the sick, that which is called faith is nothing less than presumption. Many persons bring disease upon themselves by their self-indulgence. They have not lived in accordance with the natural law or the principles of strict purity. Others have disregarded the laws of health and their habits of eating, drinking, dressing, or working. Often, some form of vice is the cause of feebleness of mind and body. Should these persons gain the blessing of health, many of them would continue to pursue the same course of heedless transgression of God's natural and spiritual laws, reasoning that if God heals them in answer to prayer, then they are at liberty to continue their unhelpful practices and indulge perverted appetite without restraint. Listen to this. If God were to work a miracle restoring these persons to health, he would be encouraging sin. That gives some food for thought, doesn't it? I want to close with prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for giving us the ability to heal, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually as well. And whether that was uh, created by your hand in Eden or whether that was an intervention uh, to stop the effects of sin, it doesn't matter to me. I thank you for the gift of healing. Uh, please continue to God and bless our class uh, collectively and individually. And when you come again, maybe I'll be standing ready. In Jesus' name, amen.